Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technologies. I am your host, Tiasha Zaitz, and this is the third episode of the short series about digital health in South America. In the previous episodes, you could listen to Adrian Triansky from an Argentinian genomics company called Bigenia. One of the reasons that we think that uh, Bigenia is very important uh, is because we want to analyze this population that will also help to analyze other populations. Because uh, if you really want to know how changes in the genome are doing changes in disease, you need to know the, the genomics of the whole world. So... It's a pity that Latin American data is not there in, in the genomic databases. Another speaker came from Colombia. Javier Cardona, the CEO of Undoctris, talked about how to bring affordable access to healthcare to people in seconds without the need for an appointment. I don't see like big tech, big tech like, uh, I don't know, Google or Facebook, uh, even Amazon moving into this space in a worldwide level, but I do see big companies like Teladoc, like Pinan Good Doctor in China, expanding real quick because they're, they're been providing telemedicine also for quite some time. They're doing at a high scale uh, with high security and that's probably what I see um, some level of consolidation or probably threats from competitors, from big telemedicine companies that already exist, exist in the markets. Now you see also Babylon from, from Europe. And today we're going to Brazil to hear from the CEO of Ottawa Health, a 13-years-old startup officially founded last year by an IT team at CCC, one of the most respected oncology clinics in Brazil. The biggest differentiator of Brazil compared to other countries in South America is language. The official language is Portuguese. The country with over 200 million people has had universal healthcare access since the 80s. That sounds great, but as explained by Paulo Fernando Barque de Guzmão, the problem is that the system lacks investments and therefore a lot of people still opt for private healthcare. The healthcare system is also not immune to political pressure. Brazil has prioritized the training of family doctors over specialists, and in 2013, a great initiative was designed called More Doctors. It aimed at hiring physicians to work in underserved and remote areas. However, with many Brazilian doctors unwilling to relocate, thousands of Cuban doctors were hired instead. Then, in November 2018, Cuba announced their withdrawal because of a political disagreement with the incoming and current president. Living politics aside, in the discussion with Paulo, you listen about how an oncology EHR looks like when it's in development for over a decade in close collaboration with oncology specialists and why that has good potential to scale. Ottawa Health's mission is to bring the oncology health records to underserved areas of the world, especially other parts of South America and Africa. As universal healthcare cannot be universal, 
while the huge gap between health technology assessment in use by high-income and low-income areas remains. Enjoy the show and if you would like to learn more about the episodes, the show or everything that we cover, visit our website www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. I always say this, but if you like what you will hear, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps others interested in digital health find the show as well. And of course, do subscribe to the show to be notified about new episodes automatically. Coming up in the next episode is a discussion about Venezuela and Chile with Luis Santiago, CEO of Pegasi. The Venezuelan and Dominican market are, are very alike. The Venezuelan one was much more developed in terms of the amount of activity. And Venezuela had a, a bigger private sector, uh, had less dependence, not only in insurance companies, but on patients had uh, cash flow until like 2014 to 2015, like in the situation that I described. So uh, private health was always blooming. And also considering that uh, the public sector health has been like uh, both downsizing and lacking the proper materials ever since, uh, I don't know, uh, late 90s. The situation of public uh, hospitals started declining, didn't change with Hugo Chavez at all. Instead, the situation kept declining. So people had to resort to private to the private sector to solve their needs. So at one point, I remember an analysis saying that the private sector, private healthcare sector in Venezuela sustained around 60% of our every attention. So it makes it really huge. In Latin America, the tendency is the other way around. Between 30 and 40% of the operation in a country goes to the private sector and the other 60 or 70 go into the public sector. Now to Brazil. Paulo, you have more than 20 years of experience in IT, so you're looking at healthcare through that lens. As a warm-up question, there is an understanding that IT people and clinicians are two very different species, each with their own language. So what have you learned through your experience in healthcare IT? How do you translate your thinking and ideas to clinicians? This is absolutely true. Physicians, they are really very difficult to work with. And I believe this is a global opinion, <laughs> not only mine. And maybe that's because they are trained since the beginning of medical school to make decisions on their own. I don't know. So maybe they're not very much used to share too much opinions with others regarding a particular subject. So it is true. It's, it is very difficult to work with clinicians. And indeed, we are two different species. And the language that we have, it's different. So we need a, some like a, a buffer in between to interpret ideas and, and even language in order to come with a solution that uh, physicians and healthcare people around the world uh, considers a good solution for them. And uh, when it comes to develop software solutions for the healthcare industry, this is a constant source of friction. And uh, it is almost impossible to find software solutions that were developed with this complete integration between developers and clinicians. And I believe that this explains why the health sector is, is still the only big industry uh, lacking behind in terms of technology adoption. And this also explains why clinicians hate to use electronic medical records, for instance. 
These systems, they were not created with their mindset. They're usually created by programmers and uh, thinking of what a clinician would like to, to have in a software and not asking themselves uh, directly that questions. And what happens is that clinicians, uh, they consider, for instance, electronic medical records a complete waste of time in, all over the world. And it is time that they spend filling information on systems that they don't understand why they're doing this and they don't see any value on that. And it is, it's time they should be using to do what they were trained to do, to see, to listen, and to treat people. And I believe that the big reason why oncologists love our system, the electronic health record that we created for oncologists, that because we have oncologists, we have nurses and pharmacists and nutritionists and psychologists in our team. And then we were able to create something that have their own face, you know. It become pretty clear uh, by today that if you go into healthcare, IT or digital health, that you need to have someone from the clinical side on your team. There's a trend of having uh, CCIOs in hospitals, so chief clinical information officers and clinical teams that are educated in IT, so they act as translators between the IT teams and the end users. So you mentioned that you have doctors and the clinical staff in your team. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because Ottawa Health was officially founded in 2019. However, you've been working on this solution already since 2007. That's right. And uh, what happened is that um, we started as the IT department inside one of the most respected uh, oncology clinics in Brazil. And that, that's why we have with us from since, since the beginning, multidisciplinary team, what is fashion nowadays to call a design thinking. We were doing design thinking in 2007 already uh, without knowing that we were doing design thinking. There wasn't this term going around. Uh, but that, that, that what we created using a multidisciplinary team, combining developers, of course, because we have to write software to code. But also since the beginning, from day one, we created something with clinicians, uh, in special, in this case, especially uh, oncologists and hematologists, and all other specialties that circulates around oncology, which means pharmacists, nurses, and psychologists and nutritionists, they were sitting in the same table as we were, and we were discussing what were their needs for a system in terms of keeping the record of an oncology treatment. A lot has happened in oncology treatment in the last uh, 13 years. So for one thing, palliative care has advanced a lot. Therapies uh, changed. So we've got more immunotherapies. Gene testing has become reliable as a decision support option for doctors to prescribe medications, better soup to patients. So a lot of uh, factors that have a very important impact on the way that the electronic health record needs to be designed, you also mentioned nutritionists. So can you take us through the history um, of the development of the software? So for example, how 
did all these factors impact your development and how is the system today different compared to how it looked like uh, in 2007? Those technologies that started to appear for, for in, in medicine, they impact our development for sure. And what we actually created that is really oncology focused is an electronic medical record. So with this system, all the system team can register the treatment of a particular patient starting from the moment that a patient enters the, 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 the clinic, any clinic, oncology clinic, until the bill is sent to whoever going to pay this bill, if the patient or a health insurance plan, for instance. And uh, we developed from the beginning, our main focus of development was the electronic medical record. And within this electronic medical record, a cancer patient. This this patient he is classified using ICD-10 code, and so it's a universal code for diseases. And after that, cancer that has something called staging, and this is a way for physicians to determine the stage of the disease on a particular patient. So our medical record, depending on what is the staging of the disease that the, the physician tells that, uh, this, let's say, for instance, a breast cancer patient. And depending on the stage of the disease, the options for treatment, which is which are called protocols, we show exactly the, 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 the only the protocols that are allowed for that particular staging of the disease. And that, that brings safety for patients regarding the patient will receive the exact treatment for the kind of disease that, 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 that it has. And once a new technology arrives or a new kind of drug or a new kind of exam to determine the, uh, a better staging for this disease, this translates in, this is always translating into new treatment protocols in oncology. So we have a team of experts. They are always, they are constantly inputting those treatment protocols inside our system. So we are always with the latest protocols inside our system. So let's say, for instance, if there's a new drug and there's a new treatment protocol for a particular disease that um, it is now known by all physicians in the world, we have a team of experts that will input this treatment protocol inside our system. How much data is already in the system and to which extent can you use that data that's in the system, so patient data, for further clinical analysis and clinical research? Do you do that? Uh, yes. We are using this system inside CCC, this clinic here in Sao Paulo, Brazil, since 2010. And only in this clinic, we have something like 14,000 patients already treated using our software, with physicians using our software to register their, their treatment. And this is only in one, in one clinic. And uh, all this information, we are gathering, putting together all this information from different clinics into uh, a unique database. So we can work together with uh, pharma companies, for instance, or insurance health operators to create studies that could help them better understand the outcomes for a particular drug or the outcomes of a, a type of protocol. 
And so we are putting together this huge database of oncology data, really focused on oncology, together with other clinics, and starting to create these studies with pharma companies here in Brazil right now. This is one of our main goals for our future. There are over 6,500 hospitals in Brazil, out of which 300 are specialized in oncology. How many hospitals that are specialized in oncology are you present in? So what are your plans in that regard? Well, we started, as, as, as I mentioned, inside one clinic as the IT department. After we developed the systems and after six years of using that inside one clinic, we decided to spin out this IT department into a different company, into a separate company, which is Ottawa Health. And uh, so since last year, we created Ottawa, Ottawa Health with the focus to bring our solution, to bring our software to other clinics as well. So right now we have a group of five clinics using, uh, oncology clinics using our software. And uh, we already have 20 more in our target and some of them already signed the contract with us, but we are setting up the solution into those other clinics along this the 2020 but but yes uh, our our goal is to uh, we uh, we will focus on all of those oncology clinics and slash hospitals that you've mentioned that exist here in Brazil what kind of benefits do you expect with that expansion so you know apart from you as a business how could a network of hospitals using the same uh, EMR how could that further accelerate findings uh, about uh, the efficacy of medications used in Brazil this is paramount because if you have this the, a group of clinics hospitals and physicians using the same system, this brings what it still doesn't exist in the market. This will bring standardization for oncology treatment, for cancer treatment. And you mentioned before that you are also working with the pharma companies and with um, health insurance companies to better understand treatments and costs related to that. So I wonder, in the last few years, there's been a lot of discussion in the public about how um, these kind of connections should be more in control of the patients. So, you know, blockchain-based solutions could uh, give the patients the power to decide where their data uh, goes. So I wonder... What is the state of uh, data privacy laws in Brazil in comparison to uh, US and Europe with GDPR and uh, similar data privacy laws? We actually have the same kind of concerns in terms of privacy, especially in terms of health data. And we actually have a GDPR of our own, which is called in Brazil LGPD. And it's based mostly on the European standards. And so the country is looking at it in, in a very mature way and bringing really safety for patient data. And this new law will start to be enforced here in Brazil in about two months or three months from now on, from now. So we actually have the almost identical law that you have in Europe. 
And patients, when they start to, to be treated here in Brazil, they have to sign what is called a letter of consentment regarding the treatment, their treatment options, the drugs, and also regarding with the data that is being collected about them and about the disease to be used by physicians in, in clinics and, and hospitals. But in the end, what we can see from, from our history, from almost 10 years of patients being affected by our technology, is that uh, patients are willing to give their information for clinics and hospitals in order to improve their treatments. And of course, we are talking about exchanging data, respecting the anonymization of the patient. Of course, we don't need to know their names or, or where they live exactly, the same, the, the street address and, and so on. So we actually use data in a way that we know the sex, the age, the disease, and the, the treatment protocol that were used. So we are respecting patient's safety and patient security of, of information. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that is important to mention here is the way that the healthcare in Brazil is structured. So if I understand correctly, patients don't really have to fear that a treatment would not be covered for them because since 1988, Brazil has a so-called universal and comprehensive access to healthcare. I, it's, Brazil is a huge country, you know, you have 209 million people. Uh, it's the fifth most populous country in the world. So can you just take us through the experience of a patient in such a huge healthcare system that it seems, at least on paper, accessible? You know, so how, how does it look like in practice? And if access is not a problem, uh, how big are the, the waiting times, which is something that public systems especially usually have challenges with? The public health system in Brazil was creating in the end of the 80s. And Brazil is the only nation with more than 100 million people with a public health system, a universal health system. And from the creation of this system in 88, we have some very good numbers to talk about. For instance, life, life expectancy jumped 10 years since the public system was implemented. The child mortality decreased from more than 50 per 100,000 people to about 10. Uh, we have the biggest vaccination program in the world. We have more than 300 million doses per year to deal with more than 19 diseases. And this is all for free. We have the biggest organ transplant program in the world. More than 8,000 8, surgeries are done every year for free. But at the same time, Oh, well, so Brazil is famous uh, all over the world about the AIDS program that it implemented right from the beginning. So this public health system in Brazil has a, a very good things to be said about. But at the same time, it is struggling with lack of investments. For, for instance, health expenditure in Brazil in 2018 was around 5,200 reais, which stands for a little less than $1,000 per patient. And Brazil nowadays has around 430,000 beds in hospitals. And this is 34% less than it was 10 years ago. Public hospitals alone lost 8% of beds in the last 10 years, which is approximately 50,000 beds. So 
at the same time that we have some very good numbers, the population also struggles for this lack of investment that we have in healthcare. So the population here in Brazil lives with huge lines, lack of healthcare professionals in most places, lack of access to drugs and equipments in public in the public sector. And what happened is that those who can afford pay for private health insurance. And today, this accounts for almost 47 million people in the country that, that relies on private health insurance and private health hospitals, private doctors and private everything. So there's a very big part of our population that never experienced the public health sector. Me, for instance, I can't remember if I've maybe like for two, three or four times to, to get a vaccine. I never used the public system. Never. Yes, I'll, 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 I'll use the private one because in terms of the private sector in Brazil, it's like a, we live like in a bubble inside the country because we have, especially if you're talking about Sao Paulo, where I live, where the company is, is present, Sao Paulo is like an island of excellence in, worldwide and not only in Brazil in terms of comparing to anywhere in Europe or, or US. So the health sector in Brazil is really, there is this dichotomy between public and private and it's very different, the current government. Access to healthcare in the rural areas is a global issue, which is why there's so much hope that telemedical solutions uh, would aid that issue so that at least partially people could access healthcare through those means. What is the state of digital health and digitization in your assessment in Brazil? And is that changing due to COVID as it is in uh, other countries around the world? There is a lot of talk about telemedicine here in Brazil since the, the, the starting of the pandemic. And there was a, a lot of movement in the market regarding this, the subject. And I, I believe that, uh, we have what, what is happening right now. It's really a, a fast forward movement that it would take normally evolve much slower. Quite frankly, this is a, a good movement. We really have to, uh, bring technology and and remote technology into healthcare because, as we just said, and not only in Brazil but South America and Africa and Asia, all of those underserved countries, technology and uh, the use of remote technology will be a valuable tool, if not the most valuable tool that we can use to help those areas to overcome. The situation that they have right now. And uh, that's why, for instance, we are creating since last year a new system, a new oncology system from scratch. We are creating a new software that is completely cloud-based because one of our goals for the future is to bring our oncology electronic health record into underserved areas of the world. Not only here in Brazil, we're I'm talking, but also in in Africa and other parts of South America, especially. Uh, what are your plans regarding that scaling? Because you speak Portuguese in Brazil, which is already a little bit of a barrier for some other companies that are trying to come into the Brazil uh, healthcare market. So, you know, leaving all the cultural and language barriers, or maybe just putting all these barriers in the equation. What's your plan in uh, expanding to other areas? 
Well, the good point regarding oncology, I don't think there is that cultural challenge because oncology is probably the area of medicine where treatment protocols are most used. And a protocol is a protocol. And uh, in terms of evidence-based medicine, the way of treating a breast cancer is the same here in Argentina or should be the same here in Argentina or any country, Africa or in the US or in Europe, anywhere in the world. So I don't believe that regarding our solution specifically, I don't think there is, there is much of this point of cultural challenge. And although we speak Portuguese, this new system that we are creating, it is completely adapted to other languages. So we will be able to have the interface translated into English and Spanish, for instance, with no problem. And what kind of standards are you using for uh, data to make it, you know, easier, as least locked in as possible? This new system that we are creating, and that was uh, since we our goal was to bring our technology to other places, we knew from the beginning that the current technology that we started, the, the, the technology that we're using today, is the same that we started creating this, this solution in 2007. So it's kind of old in terms of technology. So we knew that for us to be able to reach other markets, and especially to reach other countries, uh, we would need a new solution. So we started developing a new system from scratch, which will do exactly the same things that we are doing right now, but creating that using a new technology. So we are totally cloud-based. We are using Google Health Platform to support our needs. And uh, we are using, and also uh, we are creating everything HIPAA compliant from scratch. You definitely have exciting times um, ahead of you. What are your short-term plans? We mentioned in the beginning that you wish to get the software in other cancer centers in Brazil. So every installation of an EHR, which is a huge system, takes uh, months or even years to get in place and get adopted and used fully. So um, how fast do you think you could uh, get the system up and running in on a larger n number of hospitals? We are not a hospital system. We are only looking to the oncology treatment. So our installation process is not that complicated as a system that controls the, the hospital as a whole. We, what we are already doing, we control the oncology clinic inside a hospital. So inside the clinic, everything is done using our software. And then we integrate with the hospital system to take care of drug inventory, for instance, or for to send information to, to create the bills. This is done using the software running the hospital, okay? And uh, so our implementation time is around two weeks. And so I don't, I don't think we, we have, using the current technology, okay, in two, three weeks, we have the oncology part of a hospital or the oncology clinic up and running using our system. And the, what we're creating now for this new software that, that will be cloud-based, that would be much, much easier. So what do you see as your biggest challenge at the moment? First of all, we are concentrating our efforts in creating as fast as possible the new system that is cloud-based 
so we can start to expand our operations into other countries. This is our biggest challenge right now. And we have this, this challenge of creating a new system and at the same time supporting the current one. So this is kind of tricky where you have to sometimes move your, your focus to one side and then to other side. And you have to, to balance that very well. Cancer research is a very hot topic in the pharma industry. How do you see your role and what do you see that your contribution could be in terms of, you know, what vision you have in uh, the contribution that you can make in uh, making cancer a less problematic uh, disease? Well, our vision is to have our system working on as many clinics, private clinics and hospitals as possible so we can support this system and bring this technology to underserved parts of the, of the world for free. That's our vision. We want to be able in the near future to bring this technology to places in a, in a rural part of Brazil where there's a clinic right there and this clinic the, the physician there doesn't have the same kind of experience, the same kind of knowledge that the a physician that helped us to create the software here in Sao Paulo has. And then using our technology, since everything is inside this electronic medical record for oncology, all the treatment protocols, molecular markers, the staging of the disease, this is all inside our system. So a physician, in terms of practice, in a day-to-day basis, it's using our software. A just graduated physician can treat a patient with a particular cancer disease in the same way that there's a team of experts here in Sao Paulo that help us create the, 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 the software. They treat their patients here in an island of excellence that we have here in Sao Paulo. So our system... For instance, the clinic that we created the software, it's accredited by Accreditation Canada since 2010 and by Joint Commission International since 2014. And very few hospitals and much less clinics have these health accreditations because it takes too much time and it takes too much investment in order to be able to get these accreditations. And since we have this accreditation, Inside our team, these allow us to develop an ecology-based uh, electronic health record that adheres to their, to their requirements related to safe access and management of patient data information. So a physician using our software in the middle of Africa will behave in the same way as a physician here in Sao Paulo or a physician in Europe or in the U.S., and our vision is to bring this technology to underserved parts of the world uh, for free. What kind of business model do you think you could achieve that? So the access for free? Well, I hope so. That's why we wanted to have as many private institutions as possible using our system. Okay, so kind of like charging the ones that can afford it to create the option to underserved populations and remote areas to be able to have access. Yes, this would be one way. And together with support of, of institutions that, that share the same kind of vision that we have. 
there's not just interest from the pharma industry to offer cancer patients as much support and new treatments as possible. There's also more and more emphasis on various digital health startups, you know, how they can aid and support cancer patients. Are you getting a lot of interest for partnerships? Are you partnering with any of the digital health startups? How lively is the digital health ecosystem in Brazil and especially in Sao Paulo, which you already mentioned is a little bit of an oasis in terms of how developed it is? We are working together with uh, another company and that is for some years right now doing some studies for pharma companies. And so we are starting to work together with outside partners so we can bring the data that we gather all over those years to translate this data into information that can be used either to help pharma companies to improve the drugs or either improve the outcomes of a particular protocol, for instance. So we, we actually are working with some other companies as well. And that's why we are part of the startup health movement since the end of 2016. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. Every opinion counts. Thank you.